Greetings to God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. And today we are going to continue with lesson 17. And we are in verse, in chapter 4, in verse uh, 16. This is the verse that we finished with last time when we read that Cain uh, went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And then verse 17, and Cain knew his wife. And we explained that uh, the meaning of, uh, again, knowing his wife, which was his sister, and was okay at the time. Later on, it gradually uh, became uh, prohibited as time went by. And after that, uh, it was allowed to marry half a sister, but not uh, full brother and sister. In Egypt, that practice continued uh, way down uh, the road where uh, people still could marry their own sister. And in some societies, even until not too long ago, like uh, the people of Hawaii, it was uh, customary for them to marry a sister. So that basically uh, continued from the time of Adam and Eve. In other words, people that didn't have uh, biblical teachings uh, did not see anything wrong with that, no more than the children of Adam and Eve saw anything wrong with that. So we cannot judge them by our own morality if they've never known anything else but their own culture that uh, went all the way back to uh, before the flood. And so, what we read here, uh, that Cain knew his wife, and uh, which was his sister, which means that his sons were also the, his nieces and nephews. Very interesting uh, reality there. And she conceived and bore Enoch. That's in English, Enoch, which doesn't mean anything. In Hebrew, it's Hanoch, uh, which means dedicated. And possibly that uh, Cain was having second thoughts about God, and maybe he thought... If, he, if he's going to dedicate this son to God, though he doesn't say that, he just called him dedicated, uh, that maybe this is going to uh, sort of uh, bring him closer to God. You know, his first sacrifice was rejected by God, and he thought if he's going to dedicate this son, uh, at least that's uh, speculation, that uh, possibly God will be uh, pleased with that. In either case, he called his name Hanoch, uh, in English Enoch, and later on we see another Hanok, which was the eighth from Adam, this time from the line of Seth. And of course that person was totally different in spirit. And then we continue, and he built, in verse 17, and he built a city. It doesn't mean that he had a son, he got married, he had a son, then he built a city. Because that doesn't make sense, you know, for one, uh, for husband and wife and a child, you don't need a city. Well, as time went by, he obviously had more children and he had sons and daughters, and so forth, maybe even had grandchildren, and he began to build a city. Uh, in Hebrew, in essence, uh, what you read there is that when he had uh, his son, he began to build a city. Whether he finished it or not, we don't know. Uh, all we know that he, he, he had a son, and he built a city. In Hebrew, uh, the terminology in Hebrew, by Yehi Bonair, in other words, and he was building a city. It does not mean that he built it, it just means that he was building it in the process of doing it. And we might speculate that the reason for that would be uh, twofold. Uh, first one, he wanted to, uh, let's say, protect himself. If he was going to flee from the face of God and he wasn't too sure about protection, and somebody might kill him, he might be afraid of, uh, afraid of the avengers of blood, of his brother Abel, whom he killed, and maybe other descendants of Adam might uh, hear the story and get angry at him. And whenever they saw him, they might, they might kill him. So he thought, well, let's, let's build a city uh, to protect my family from the possible uh, avengers of blood 
or the later children of, uh, of Adam, Adam and Eve. Uh, the other possibility, obviously, uh, would be also very clear and quite uh, feasible and plausible also, and that is basically he was to be a vagabond. That was his fate. He was going to be uh, coming and going, you know, and going all over the place, wandering all, all over the earth. Wherever he went, there was no rest for him. The land would not produce anything. And so he thought in building a city, he's going to finally give permanence to his family, to his children, so they would not have to uh, be under his curse. And when he was cursed, his children were not. That's, by the way, the law of God, that God does not hold responsible the children for the iniquity of their fathers. So that curse was not necessarily upon his children, but it was on him. And so it was a good idea for him to build a city to give that sense of permanence to his family and to his children. And that, in essence, stopped the, the age of wandering for him and being a vagabond. Because later on we read about his children settling in the land and uh, having a totally different life than their father. And this is basically what happened at this point. And then we read in verse 18, And uh, Hanoch, that is Enoch, Hanoch, born Irad. Uh, by the way, all these names have meanings. Uh, once you translate them to English, you basically mostly lose every meaning. And that's, that's one of the major problems of translation. They ought to translate not, not just the names faithfully, but also the meaning of it. Otherwise, those people who read it uh, cannot understand it. As you remember later on, Paul says about uh, prophesying, of what value is it if you prophesy and nobody understands what you're saying? When you prophesy, in other words, when you speak in another language, then you must also translate so others can understand you. Otherwise, you sound to them like bubbling. And uh, for somebody who speaks Hebrew, when he begins to read all those words and names in English, uh, to him it sounds like somebody's bubbling there, you know, having no knowledge and no understanding. And... Uh, it's unfortunate. It should not be so, especially when it comes to the Word of God. People ought to be faithful with it and loyal, but uh, unfortunately the translators of the King James uh, did not have much loyalty to the translation. Uh, not that they were vicious or malicious or whatever it may be, they just didn't have loyalty. A good translator never translates uh, in such a way that people would be misled, whether it is intentional or not on his part. Anyway, I'm not going to explain every single word, otherwise we'll go on forever and for eternity explaining every single word. If you want to have a deeper knowledge and understanding, because names have extremely profound meaning as far as God is concerned, uh, we can go to lexicons and find out the true meaning of every single word. Now and then I'll give you the meaning because it may be uh, valuable to you, and it may be uh, uh, linked to the point that I'm trying to make. And so here, Hanok uh, gives birth to Irad, and Irad begot uh, Mehuyael. I'll say it in Hebrew for your own benefit. Uh, it might trigger a little interest there on the part of some to go and study a little bit of Hebrew, at least to know what it means. And uh, here you see the first name, and I'll explain that one. The, the third, uh, that is the grandson of Hanok, which was uh, the son of uh, Cain. In other words, the fourth generation they injected the name El at the end of the name, Mehuyael. In other words, God brings his life, Mehuyael. God will bring him life or give him life. And El comes at the end. And this is the first time that, uh, that uh, at least a recorded time, that a person takes 
also the name of God at the end of his name. In other words, it's a two words uh, in Hebrew. Mechuya means uh, lived by or was given life by, and El is God, so he was given life by God. Uh, and apparently Irad had a little bit of uh, inclination to go toward the God, and maybe that's the reason why I use the word God. So here you have the first introduction of another name, another name of God, El. And then his, uh, the Nehuyael uh, begot Metushael, so he too gave a, uh, a name to his son with the name God at the end of it. So apparently there is a little uh, repentance there on the part of uh, the family of Cain, at least his descendants in the fourth and fifth generation. And so he gives life to Metushael, and Metushael begot Lamech, and La- Lamech, or Lamech, in, in English. And Metushael, again, has uh, many, but as I said, I, I do not intend to give uh, an explanation to every name, because otherwise it will take me forever. And so, now Lamech, we end up with Lamech, which is the, uh, now this is the sixth generation of the family of Cain, and also the final son of Cain that is mentioned by name, and after that come the children of Lamech, and that's the end of the story of the family of Cain, at least in recorded history. And so Lamech, which is a sixth generation, that's something new that nobody else had done before. And so we read in verse uh, 19, And then Lamech took for himself two wives. Uh, in other words, uh, double trouble. Uh, the name of the one was Ada, which, which is very interesting. Ada, later on we're going to uh, talk about this name, Ada, because it is very much linked to the, the, gen, uh, the genuine name and the original name that God gave to his people in terms of a nation, a people, and later on, way down the road, that name was translated, uh, I believe, by the Scottish. Uh, at least they used it for something else, for a different uh, connotation, and later on it took the connotation of the church. Uh, but that's a different story, we'll get to it later on. And so the name of the first wife was Ada, which means witness, and the name of the second, Sila, and Sila means shadow. So one was a witness and the other one was a shadow. Uh, very interesting. But he had two wives, and uh, mind you, biblically speaking, when I'm talking about partisan uh, morality or Catholic or even Jewish as became later on, uh, whatever it may be, biblically speaking, and even the Jews recognize that, uh, taking two wives was not ideal. Taking one wife was the ideal. Taking two wives was trouble. And that's all it was. But it was never sin. The Jews never pro- pronounced that to be sin. They cannot. They know it's not biblical to, to say that. Uh, some people took it that way. That's because of lack of uh, biblical understanding. But uh, God dealt with this issue later on in the book of Deuteronomy. We read about the reality that uh, though it was ideal in the beginning, as Jesus Christ, like John, would say in the beginning it wasn't so. Yes, it was ideal in the beginning, like many other things. Uh, in Genesis 2.24, when a man uh, goes to a woman, uh, he becomes uh, one flesh with her, and that's it. That's the original ideal, the uh, way it was supposed to be. But people departed from the ideal, and troubles began. Uh, but nevertheless, it still wasn't sin. It wasn't more uh, for sin than marrying your sister at the time. So, let's take it from that uh, uh, point of view, 
and then we'll have a better understanding of it and not add to the Bible where the Bible did not add and not call righteousness where God didn't call it righteousness and not call sin to what God didn't call sin. Uh, that's departing from the law of God that Moses made uh, plain and very specifically. He says, this is the book of the law. Your law is not the law of God. This is the book of the law that God gave him. You don't add to it and you do not diminish. And yet that's exactly what people want to do. And so some people came down the road, not too far from our generation, and began to say dancing is a sin, and playing poker is a sin, going to the movies is a sin, and so forth and so forth. Well, this is not godly. And godliness is not uh, scribed uh, in this way. Uh, God determines what is godliness, not men. Anyway, in this case, when he married two women, the law later on uh, deals with this issue, and God tells them, tells Israel, his people, that, uh, yes, uh, before that, uh, in many other ways, it was shown that it's not really ideal to do that, and he had problems, like in the case of Sarah and Hagar, like in the case of Leah and Rachel, uh, problems between sisters. And in that case, I mean, not only there were two wives, but there were two sisters, so the, the trouble was even double. Uh, much more complicated there. But in the book of the law, uh, God makes it very plain through Moses, in the book of the law in Deuteronomy, that is, that when a man marries two women, that is, if he has, not if he marries, if he already has two women, uh, the second one, he happens to love her more than the first one, and maybe the, the first one is getting older, he's not too crazy about her, and so he's got a young woman. And uh, when you think about those days, it was better to marry young, and another woman than to commit adultery. And that's how they probably solved the problem, among other, other things. But it's not ideal. It creates problems, and yet, on the other hand, it's not a sin, uh, from the point of view of God. And so, we, uh, of course, for us, we want to be living the ideal life, uh, which is as the law of God uh, gave us, and uh, follow the example of Jesus Christ, that we should always strive to live as it was meant to be in the beginning, and that's the reason why in the New Testament they began to speak and talk about this subject, where the Jewish community already was uh, practicing it anyway, but some people still uh, were having problems, marrying two wives, and therefore, uh, as far as the ministry was concerned, Paul was not talking about the brethren, but as far as the ministry was concerned, since they are to be the leaders, he said that the minister should be the husband of one wife, and one at a time. Uh, if he has two, he's got problems, got to have problems with his children, your wives, and you are not, not going to be able to rule the church, not because it is sin, per se. And so God, in the book of, law, of the law, uh, basically is telling his people that if a man has two wives, he should still, even though he may hate the first one and love the second one, he should still honor her firstborn, that is also his firstborn, and give him the double portion, whether he likes her or not, that's regardless, neither here nor there. And so even if she is hated, he still is obliged by the law of God to honor the firstborn of the first wife. And so we read later on, as we continue with the story, this man has two wives, and in Adan, verse 20, bore Yabal. In Hebrew, Yabal, Jabal doesn't mean anything. As a matter of fact, Jabal in Arabic means a mount, and his name certainly was not a mount. Uh, in English, I don't know what Jabal means. Obviously, it doesn't have any meaning because it was not translated properly. And in Hebrew, it's Yabal, which basically means river, stream, brook, or a tributary. In other words, now that Cain built a city, people began to dwell in a certain place. Uh, they had plenty of streams and rivers and uh, tributaries and all that. 
uh, it was natural for her to call her son by that name. Uh, you could call a person by a name of a tree or an animal or a river or whatever it may be. Or even a mountain or a hill or whatever it may be. In this case, she called him Yabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So he was the first one to dwell in tents. Uh, his, uh, that is, his uh, forefather, that is the son of uh, Cain, lived in a city. But apparently, this man lived in tents. And the reason why he lived in tents, well, he wanted to domesticate animals. Uh, and we see a difference here between him and Abel, the first man, that is the first son of Adam, uh, with Cain, could have been a younger brother, or if we, it was twin. Uh, we are not told uh, whether he was uh, uh, twin or maybe he was born right on. We just try to speculate there. But in either case, Abel was a keeper of sheep. He was not a keeper of cows and uh, other kind of livestock or goats. But here we see Yabal who is, in essence, expanding, that is, is uh, widening the class of animals which, he could, which could be domesticated. And so he became the first one, the originator of pastoral life. And that's what Yabal was all about. It was natural, I guess, for him to do it. That was his personality also. He was not a farmer. He lived by lots of water, that is, rivers. His name was a river. He had plenty of livestock, and life was just ideal for him. And that's what he did. So he was a peaceful man, though he was the son of Cain. That is, a descendant of Cain. And his brother was Yuval. In other words, the first name she gave to her son was Yabal, which means, as I said, river, or brook, or stream, and tributary. And with the second one, she didn't go too far. She called him Yuval, which is also basically the same. River, stream, brook, tributary. So one was Yabal, one was Yuval. Both basically mean the same. And apparently they lived in an area where there were lots of rivers, lots of streams and brooks, and uh, she just liked water. It tells us something about her personality. And Yuval was a different person. He was inclined in a different way. He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And whether he was a cattle uh, or livestock owner, we don't know. All we know is that his inclination, and apparently he had more time because he was not a farmer, or else he would be too busy to do that. Apparently the family was a little bit uh, well-to-do now, so he could do those things. Or maybe he too was a shepherd and taking care of livestock, and when he do that, he had plenty of time, and he began to invent those things. So you see talents being developed there. And he was the inventor, or the father, of all those who play the harp and flute. Not only invented them, he was a musician, and then he taught his children to be musicians too. And there you see something totally different from his brother. And in essence, uh, here you find the most, the most ancient art, according to Hebrew tradition, the most ancient art dating back to the beginnings of the human race, and that is the art of music, inventors of instruments of music, and being musicians. Uh, so the fun began at that time. And probably people began to sing and dance and do all those things. And that's basically where we find these two wives of Lamech. And then, that was not the end of it, because these two sons came from the first wife, which was Ada, and uh, witness, uh, that is the feminine form of the witness, Ada, Ada. And, his bro and uh, then we read about the second wife, 
Now this was a different story. The second wife was a shadow. Her name was a shadow, Tzila. And maybe she was a shadow in comparison to the first one. Or she was her shadow, whatever. And for Tzila, as for Tzila, she also bore Yuval Kain. She too didn't go too far in terms of name. Yuval, uh, Tuval, Yuval, Yabal, all come from the same uh, origin. All of them are named after rivers. Uh, after the, the, the reality of a river, a brook, and a tributary stream, whatever it may be. I guess this is what they liked in this family. And this is where they dwelt. And so she called him Tuval Kain. Only she took the name of the, in essence, the patriarch of that family, Cain. Kain. And so he was an instructor of every craftsman in bronze, and iron. In other words, he went into industry and he was the inventor, must have been pretty wise, uh, men, uh, crafty and uh, able, creative and all that. So he began to uh, mine all those things from the ground and it says that he is the father of all those who are in that industry. Craftsmen in bronze, the word for bronze in Hebrew is nehoshet, which basically means it's a generic name for bronze, copper, or brass. And Nehoshet means all these three. And so we, in essence, see the beginning of uh, industry, which led to the creation of weapons of war. You see, with his brother, his half-brother from Ada, he was an inventor of instruments of music. And once he was an inventor of instruments of music, then he was teaching all of his sons to be musicians, both inventing instruments and also playing music. In contrast, this person had a different spirit. He went into the side of, of uh, craftsmanship, an invention of weapons, invention of, uh, of uh, artifacts and things that he could use to plow the ground and do all kind of things. And that became a second nature for men when he can do that when it can uh, uh, create a plow, put together uh, the elements and uh, come up with a plow, he can also create a sword. And uh, that's what he did. Because we see now a consequence of that. Now that the children of uh, Lamech were on one side cattle herders, living a pastoral life, and musicians, on the other side, he had a son that went totally differently and invented things that made it possible for the beginning of war. In other words, the invention of the ability for mass destruction. And there was an immediate consequence to that, because in verse 23 we read, Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Tzila, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. Now this is considered to be the first song of war, triumphal, uh, triumphant song of war. So he says, for I have killed a man for wounding me. In other words, he's boasting. Look at me. Even a young man for hurting me. And the irony of it, you know, who is that young man but somebody in the family? Uh, which is, uh, it shows you, you know, how far they went. The murder was not too far from them for others. Uh, once it was uh, a reality in the life of uh, the patriarch of Cain who killed his own brother. So, uh, now that they were able to use instruments of war, it was easier to kill people. And today, you have the issue of the guns. 
You got a gun around, somebody gets angry, well, guess where he's going to go? He's going to get the gun and shoot someone. Well, that's in essence what uh, the first uh, lobbyist of the, the gun lobby, so to speak, is, is saying here. And I'm able to, I'm able to kill men. You know, after my son invented those things, I can do things nowadays. So he says, I have killed a man for wounding me, and even a young man for hurting me. That's as far as he went, but look what I was able to do to him. Because I had the weapons, he didn't. And maybe that was a descendant of, uh, of the other line of, uh, of Adam and Eve that he says. So he has the beginning of war there. And so he says, If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, in other words, as God said, if somebody kills you, I'm going to avenge seven times. In other words, seven times is a perfect uh, number. In other words, infinite number. In other words, a great punishment. If somebody could uh, uh, kill Cain, his punishment will be great. But my punishment, which I'm going to inflict on others, now that I have weapons in my hand, is going to be, as you said, Ben Lanoff, 77-fold. So he's boasting in his ability to mass-destruct. And that was the spirit of the family of Cain. It continued. Uh, his children, at least uh, his two children from Ada, did not feel that way. And so they were able, they, they strayed into a different uh, life that was more peaceful. One was the inventor of pastoral life, and the, uh, the other one music. But the father, uh, in the spirit of his uh, parents and those before that, and his patriarch came and loved war. And his son obviously went in that direction. That was the inclination there. And so that's what we read. It was a triumphant song of war. The first one. Uh, the first recorded song of war. And probably the first war. And who knows what happened after that. Uh, what we know is that by the time Noah was on the scene. All the earth was singing this kind of songs. And killing one another. More than 77 times. And that was the beginning of it. And so, here we end up, uh, by the way, Tzila, the second wife, had a boy and a girl. The first one was a war maker and industrious into heavy things. Uh, today we might say into heavy metal. And uh, also he had a daughter named Naama. And here they gave her a name that, apparently that was totally different. And the others, uh, Naama. Uh, many other ladies later on were called by that name. Naama was uh, something else because her name means pleasant. And apparently she had a pleasant disposition, different from her brother, who seemed to be more in the, in the war machine uh, field and heavy things. And her name was called Naama. So, in essence, here you, you see the third woman with a name. Uh, Eve, there was the first one. But from her children, uh, well, she might be in essence the fourth. Eve was the first name given to a woman. And then Ada and Sila were the two others that were mentioned by name. Not that the others didn't have names. But this is the fourth name mentioned in the Bible of a woman. And her name is Nama, Pleasant, from the family of Cain. So, Cain had some good people, some bad people. Not everybody turns to be the same way. And also depends on uh, how much... Uh, they had a relationship uh, with God because the mere fact that some of them called already their, their children by the name 
uh, of God also uh, shows you that some of them uh, began to go towards uh, God, the God of, the, of their uh, fathers. And mind you, all this time Adam and Eve are still on the scene. So they obviously they are teaching their, their children, their grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, uh, at least certain things about God. And so the knowledge of God was not totally lost on the family of Cain. And then we go to the last verse of this chapter, uh, actually the last two verses, at least the chapter that men divided. And Adam, verse 25, knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and named him Seth. At this point, 130 years go by, and then he has a son. Now, what happened in between, we don't know, and how long before that, uh, all these things are happening, and we don't, we don't know that either, and whether verse 25 is chronological, we don't know that either, because obviously there are six generations here that are born, and maybe it was after all these died, uh, all these things we don't know exactly. What we do know, it was 130 years later, when Adam was 130 years, Seth was born. And obviously in the meantime he had many sons, uh, that is, he had many daughters, whether he had sons that God didn't choose to mention, uh, we don't know that either. What we do know, that she has a third son. And his name was Seth, or Sheth in Hebrew. In other words, this is what God gave me now instead of the other one. Uh, that's the, the meaning of his name. Uh, God gave me uh, this, uh, this son, so she called him Given. And his name was Sheth. Uh, instead of uh, Abel, that was killed. And as for Seth, verse 26, to him also a son was born, and he named his name, his name Enosh, in Hebrew, Enosh, Enosh. From that word Enosh comes, uh, that comes from the word Ish, Enosh. From the word Enosh comes human. From that comes humanity in the Hebrew language, from the, the word Enosh. And uh, to be human, uh, you say, the Enoshi in Hebrew. And uh, then man, at that time, when Enosh was born, the son of Seth, that is the grandson of Adam, then men began to call on the name of the Lord, at least in that family. And the word, the Lord here, and that is very interesting, it's a very interesting scripture, and that uh, you will totally miss if you read it in English. But in Hebrew, you see a clear understanding here that in the days of Enosh, where people began to multiply and became, began to be known as humanity, which Enosh means, Enoshut, people began to call on the name of Yehovah. In other words, they still knew the name, and apparently for some time that went by, this name was not on the, on the lips of people, but here they began to call again the name of God, that is the name Yehovah. And, and later on, uh, much, much later on, the Jews stopped using this name. Uh, at what point, I don't know exactly, but for many, many centuries, and at least for, you might say, uh, 3,000 years, probably and even more, maybe 4,000 years, maybe 3,500 years, people did use the name Yehovah. It's only later on that the rabbis forbid uh, their people from using this name. Uh, with good intentions, they did not want to desecrate the name of God. But then, uh, since they knew that was uh, the, the personal name of God, they said, this name we cannot pronounce, 
And then for others, you can still do it, like Elohim or El or Yah and uh, El Shaddai. Uh, that was still okay. And then when it came to writing, and uh, when writing became very prevalent in the community, and especially in recent times, even when they write a name in, in another language, God, they put G-D. So they would not, in their own mind, uh, desecrate the name of God. And it, all that is in vain, because God never asked him to do it. God made it very plain. I just don't want you to take it in vain, and that's all he meant by that. And yet, it is in the nature of man to add to the law of God and to diminish from the law of God. Because God told them specifically that when you swear, I want you to swear by my name, by the name Yehovah. And how can they swear by that name if they're not even willing to pronounce it? Uh, well, that's something for the future for God to take care of. When the veil is removed, much knowledge and understanding will be everywhere, not only in Judah, but in Israel and the rest of the world. So here, people began to call again on the name, the name Yehovah. And it's not Lord, but the name Yehovah. And then later on again, as time went by, people forgot that name or did not use it or it was not uh, on their lips. And by the time you get to Abraham, nobody's using the name Yehovah. And then God tells Moses that in the days of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, uh, they didn't know him by that name. They knew him by the name El Shaddai and El and other names, Yah, but not by the name Yehovah. And so this is what we see here in the last verse of chapter 4. And now we go to chapter 5. This is the book of genealogy, verse 1. Uh, uh, genealogy means toldot in Hebrew. That means uh, the giving birth of so generation after generation. And genealogy does not convey the, ma- the meaning of the Hebrew word toldot. Toldot comes from laledet, which means to give birth. And so this is the, 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 the book of the birth. You see, the birth of the children of Adam. Uh, in other words, you see Adam gave birth, or begot, 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 as you read later on in this chapter. And that's what it means. So this is a book of the begetting. And that would be more correct to say than genealogy. Genealogy has a different uh, connotation. And so this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, you see, in the likeness of Elohim. So he's going back. Up to now, we read several times the name Lord, which means Jehovah. Now the account goes back to, to Elohim. And that's the way God dictated, that is Elohim dictated to Moses to write. One time he read Jehovah, then he stopped that one for obvious reason. And then it goes back to Elohim. And so he says, this is what God had done, Elohim had done. He made men in his likeness. And so, to make it very clear what it really means, we go to to uh, verse 2, and then verse 3, and then it explains that, and especially in verse 3. He created them, male and female, and blessed them and called them, in English it says, mankind. In Hebrew it says, he called them Adam. I don't know what, constantly pervert the scriptures, even in translation. He called them Adam. In other words, the name Adam was not given only to the father, the man, but also given to the woman. You see? Because Adam means made from the soil, from Adama. That's what Adama in Hebrew means soil or ground. 
And so since both of them were made from dirt, so to speak, both of them are Adam. You see? And in Hebrew you say, Ben Adam, son of Adam, and for the woman, Bat Adam, daughter of Adam. But both of them are from the Adama, that is from the ground, therefore God called both of them naturally Adam. And uh, in English it became later on, you see, this is a, a later on terminology, mankind, to explain, but they should have kept the original, so people know what God meant by that. After all, if God wanted to write mankind, he would have written mankind, but he didn't choose to. He wrote Adam, it should have been left that way. And then in verse 3, uh, And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness, after his image. You see, when God created man in Genesis 1.26, he said, Let us create man in our likeness and in our image. Which means, if man looks like his father, then man looks like his creator. And that's why he stressed that in verse 3. Not only God created man in his image and in his likeness, but he created them in his image and in his likeness, just like Adam created, so to speak, or gave birth to his son, who was also in his image, in his image, and in his likeness. And that's why as you go on from this point to the end of the book, you constantly see that God describes himself as looking like a man. Because he created man in his image and in his likeness. And he has a head, and he has hair, and he has eyes, and he has fingers, and he has hand. This is not metaphor. People made it that way. Because people began to invent doctrines. And pretty soon, what God said about himself became nonsense to human beings. And so now they said, because God is spirit, therefore he has no image, and he has no likeness, and he has no body. You see? Well, this is what man does with the knowledge of God. Perverting the knowledge of God. God made it very plain, just like Enos looked exactly like Adam, so did Adam look exactly like me, which means I look exactly like Adam. And God made it very plain. And that's the reason why he has a relationship with us, where he calls himself a father, and we are sons. You see, a person that goes to the store, uh, animal store, whatever, and buys himself a monkey, he doesn't come home and says, this monkey is my son. And he doesn't call a dog his son. He may like the dog. And there may, uh, a lot of people, you know, treat their, ch their dogs as if they are children. They are not children. And so we find here that God made it very plain. That just like a man gives birth to another man, that is his baby, his son, who is going to look exactly like him when he grows old, so does he want his children, ultimately, not only to look like him in the likeness and image of the flesh, but also to look like him in the spirit. And so, to make it even more plain for us, he emptied himself and became flesh, and then became again spirit being, to show us the process. And those who have faith and understanding have no problem with that. But those that have lost that knowledge and understanding that used to be common knowledge in the days of old and was lost as time went by, they don't understand that. They just cannot comprehend that. Well, the future will solve this problem for all of humanity. And so in verse 4 we read, 
After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. And so the rest of the chapter tells you about genealogy. Genealogy of Adam and Eve. How many years they lived? And when were, when did they give birth to a son? And there was something interesting here with many of them, since they lived a very, very long life, and many of them lived uh, at the same time, since Adam lived the high, uh, 900 years, 935 years, all those who came after him in the next 935 years were still alive when he died. So many, many, many generations into the future uh, were alive in the days of Adam. And so they could receive knowledge firsthand, go directly to the, crea to the creator of that line of men in their image, in his image and in his likeness, and receive firsthand information. And that's an awesome reality to, to uh, contemplate. So instead of going now through the genealogy, we're going to do something else. And that is basically go into, I'll take the time now at this point, a lot of people are interested in the knowledge of the 6,000 years, of when, it's, uh, when we are reaching the end, and uh, when is the son of man coming, the son of Adam, in that sense, the second Adam is coming, and the period that goes in between, and God preserved, uh, whether we realize it or not, he preserved the record from the time that Adam was created to the time that the second man is coming. He preserved that record in terms of uh, history. And so that's what we're going to do now, is basically that. We're going to go into the history of men from Adam to the coming of the second Adam, that is a spiritual Adam, and the time when all of us who are faithful to God and those who ever lived before, who were faithful to God, who walked in the way of Seth, the one that served God, and the, uh, the way of Enos, and the way of all the righteous men that lived after that, and the way of Noah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and the prophets, and the apostles, and so forth. All these people are going to become literal spirit beings in the image and likeness of God and look exactly like him, just like God made it very plain that when Adam had a son, he looked exactly like him. And so when we are born in a spirit form into a future family of God, we will look exactly like him. And that's why later on we read, we shall see him as he is, because we will be just like him. And that's ultimately what God was saying in Genesis 1.26. Let us create men in our image and in our likeness. And so we're going to go through the history of all these men in terms of genealogy, in terms of who begot who, and how long did it take in between, and how we reach the end of the line. It's not going to be correct. It's utter impossible. It's totally impossible to know exactly the time, to know exactly the year, to know exactly the month, and to know exactly the day. But at least God gave us a rough estimate, which is closer to to reality than uh, really rough, and that's exactly what we're going to do now. We're going to go through the years from Adam to the end of time and find out more or less for sake of curiosity more than anything else and for sake of knowledge for some and for sake of understanding of what was happening during the time of whom and that will give us a, a lot of information later on also who lived at the time of whom and how much knowledge and information was being passed on from generation to generation. 
And from the days of Adam to the days of Noah, basically a whole millennium passed by. But here is Noah, who is the son of Lamech, not the Lamech that we read about, the son of Cain, that is descended of Cain, but another Lamech from the line of Seth. This Lamech was born in 849, which means he still knew Adam. And so, when Noah was born in 1031, that was basically only about a hundred years, one century after Adam died. But at least he could have sp- uh, spoken to his father who could have given him first-hand information and personal account of the first man, of Adam. And so that makes it interesting as you go through that. And that's exactly what we're going to do now. So I'll give you the year, the names, when they were born, and uh, the person that was born from them, the son that they begot, when they died, at least for most cases, and the scriptures for it. So you can write it down if you wish. Since you're listening to a tape, you can write it down and then go through it yourself, put down a chart and look through it, use it as a reference, or just listen to the tape and again and again until you see those things in a very clear way. So we begin now. We're going to go into, in a certain uh, lecture here. We're not going to read from the Bible now for a while. I don't know how long it'll take. Maybe a program. Uh, hopefully less than that. And we're going to begin with Adam. Adam was born, let's say, in the year zero. And then we read that Adam was 130 years, and he began his firstborn, Seth. And Adam lived 930 years, and Adam died in the year 930 to creation. And for reference, Genesis chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Now, Adam gives birth to number two, at least in terms of the genealogy. Number two was not really Seth. Seth was number three as a son. But the second one mentioned in that genealogy that God was interested in was Seth. Because we don't know how long Adam was alive before he gave birth to, uh, that is his wife did, but before he begot Abel and Cain. But we do know that his uh, son Seth was born 130 years later. At this point, we're going to stop and continue next time. This is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions. The Bible has answers.